The following podcast is sponsored by SuperheroStuff.com. We are just two episodes away from our 100th sit-down. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this, our 98th episode of H2O. My name is Jason Hunt, and across the wires, Mr. Timothy Harvey. Hello there. The hashtag, H2O Podcast 100. You can ask us anything. Post your questions, leave a comment, send us an email, h2o at sci fi com. In our 100th episode, we will answer questions, uh, those that we get that we think are appropriate for being on the air, and uh, and we will answer and, and just kind of... Uh, Kind of take a, a an easy an easy route on that episode. This episode, however, is not going to be easy because some of you have strong feelings on both sides of the question, and the question is: Is it good that Stephen Moffat is leaving Doctor Who? Bum, bum, bum. And the answer... Commence the wailing and... Yeah. Commence the wailing and gnashing your... Or... Yeah, the cheering. Or the, yeah, or the cheering of the fireworks, either one, one way or the other. Because I know we've got some people on our staff uh, who are dancing in the aisles because Moffat is on his way out. Um, officially, he's got one more season, one more series, as it were, over there in British Teletalk. Um, season number 10 will be Stephen Moffat's final... Uh, excursion as the chief writer and showrunner. That does not mean that he's done with Doctor Who. He could still write episodes after that, but he's done being the boss after series 10. And this comes wow. this comes in the wake of a new boss at BBC. So you got to wonder if that's part of it. Um, but the schedule being the way it is, BBC's got a new controller that takes uh, takes over, I think, this month. And the Series 10 of Doctor Who, we are not going to get until spring of 2017. Now, we will get a Christmas special, like we always do, but that's all the Doctor Who we're going to get this year. And right. the, the publicity, the statements being made by BBC are basically, you know, Moffat's going to go out with a bang and we're going to run the entire series all together without any breaks uh, is essentially what it's going to be. The new showrunner, Chris Chibnall, going to, uh, going to take over with Series 11. He has written Doctor Who. He's a showrunner currently on Broadchurch over there. So we're going to get into... The ramifications of all of this, because there are, of course, rumors already bending about uh, for the consequences of all of this, the fallout and whatnot. So, Tim, you you follow our, our Doctor Who for us here. You write the recaps and such. What do you think this is going to do? What kind of impact is this going to have on the show? Well, there's a couple of things that are happening here. One is obviously the change in show. Big deal. Um because since the show came back, especially since the show came back, um, you had the showrunner really deciding it's going to be. And you, yes, you had that back in the days of the original series, but um, 
here, you know, your, uh, your Stephen Moffat's uh, end up being uh, stars in a way of their own. You know, uh, Russell T. Davies, you know, these, he and he and Stephen Moffat were larger than life personalities that were, you know, followed and debated and discussed and all that uh, is only possible with the internet. You couldn't do that back in the day of John Nathan Turner. It, 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 consequently, your fan feedback is immediate and loud in a way that, you know, a letter writing campaign in the 70s wasn't quite having the same impact. So it makes a, it makes a big, big difference every time there's a shift in a showrunner because it can completely change the way the show is handled. And when you look at what Russell T. Davies did coming in, he had to bring the show back after the great hiatus. Um, and then, you know, reintroduce it to a new generation of uh, TV viewers, but also have enough there that was part of the original series that the original fans were traumatized. Right. So when Moffat comes in, he decides he wants to do a lot more original series based or tie in kind of stories. Um, for the most part, Davies' run was relatively continuity light. You had the Daleks, you had the Master at the end, um, but for the most part, you know, they, they, you know, the he was the last of the the Doctor was the last of the Time Lords, and a lot of the show's mythology was, you know, sort of set aside. And then Moffat's idea was to bring a lot more of it back, and he did it in subtle ways and very overt ways. Of course, he brought Gallifrey back. Uh, he brought the master back as Missy. He did things uh, in, a, in a different style, right? Right. And one of the criticisms uh, that Moffat has received is he has been too continuity heavy or has gone with these long arcs. As, of course, there's been, there's been criticism about uh, you know, misogyny and, and homophobia and things like that, which are a topic for another day. And, and, and personally, I don't see that, but uh, some people do. Um, but it has been this thing where because these people are very public figures who talk about the show in a very public manner, um, there's an impact of who the showrunner is, right? And so we are coming up on you know, 10 years, you know, the 10th season, the 10th series of the show since it came back to the air. Um, and the question for a lot of people has been, you know, how long does a showrunner go? You know, it's, it is, it is not an easy job. Um, especially now because there's so much instant feedback and there's so much criticism and praise and, and all this stuff, not to mention it is a, it is a heavy workload. If you've ever produced, if you've ever, if you've ever been an actor on a television show or produced on a television show or crewed a television show, um, it's a lot of work. Uh, and it's long days and hard hours. And, um, if you're the writer, if you're the head writer, you've got, you know, you're working, you're working year round. Right. Um, there's no downtime. And so, People wondered, uh, you know, when, when Matt Smith, Smith left, people were wondering if Moffat was going to leave. We learned earlier that, of course, Moffat was talking about leaving 
he was thinking about leaving the end of this season, which led to, I mean, there's all so many behind the scenes stuff we just don't know, you know, because there's always rumors of, well, he wanted to leave, but they couldn't find a replacement or, you know, he didn't want to leave and they wanted him to leave and blah, blah, blah. You, you just don't know. Right. Right. So a couple of things that happening here that are really, really interesting. One is, of course, for the fans of the show, you don't want there to be no Doctor Who in 2016. And that's where a lot of the wailing and gnashing of teeth comes in, whether you want Moffat to leave or not. If you're a fan of the show, suddenly you've got a whole, you're like, there's a whole year. Oh, I know. Yeah. But it's a whole nother year. Couple, yeah, but there's a couple, yeah. there's a couple of things also to, to bear in mind here. We are getting the Doctor Who spinoff this year. Oh, that's right. Um, so when class, when, so, when yeah, is that supposed is to? Um, class is, I think it's still shooting, but it's spring or summer. Uh, it's supposed to come out. And early buzz on class has been pretty positive, based mostly on the guy who is writing it, who is a uh, critically acclaimed young adult writer mm. uh, and, huge, and huge fan of the show like so many of these people are. Right. And that's, you know, and that works, that works both good and bad because there is nobody, no, there's nothing more divisive than fandom. Um, what? The I, 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 deuce I I you say. I, I, <laughs> I put on my okay. fighting trousers and we'll go have it out. No, I, no, I, you're right. right. You're right. Because, uh, you know, and, and we have talked about this on a number of occasions, the fact that that uh, especially the this day and age where the social media makes us um, more antisocial than ever, and, and and the fact that there is instant feedback and there's you know and that's and that's both good and bad uh, because everything is without a filter anymore, and you get the raw, but you also get the rude. You also get the people who, who feel like the anonymity gives them a certain amount of protection so they can say whatever they want. Whether they mean it or not, you know, there are some people out there that just say things just to get a rise out of people. They're, they're, they're deliberately provocative whether they believe what they're saying or not, whether they actually feel what they claim to feel, uh, you have the trolls. The, the you know the troll community has really come out in in the age of the internet. But I want to go back to something right. that you had said earlier about uh, when when Davies was running the show. Uh, he got a certain amount of criticism as well. But one of the things I re I think I remember an interview with him where he talked about the mythology of of Doctor Who and the fact that he didn't bring all of it back, like you were talking about. The, the impression that I got from this interview was that he basically was having to spoon-feed new fans some of the older elements. So as the show progressed, and as you got further along into Tenant's run, because you couldn't really do it very much with Eccleston because it was the first season, and you get a new actor, and then suddenly he's gone, and you basically got to start over with Tent. So when Tenet gets there, and then they start to be able to add on some of the other uh, the other elements of the classic show that hadn't been there yet, and right. the age of the character, and the fact that he's got the two hearts, and you know the, the whole alien nature of him, basically 
Davis was 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 kind of in the kind of in the same position that the CW the Berlani's team is with all of the DC comic shows, where you can do just so much and then you have to earn a little trust and you can do some more and you can earn a little trust and you do some more and you earn a little trust, both from the fans' point of view, and from the network. In in Berlani's right. in Berlani's case, you're having to earn the trust of DC Comics so they can give you more to work with. In this case. You've got uh, Davies working with an intellectual property in Doctor Who that wasn't very popular within the halls of the BBC back in the day. And now, you know, you've got to convince the network that you can do something with it. And then you have to convince the fans that you can do something with it. And you also have to attract new fans in order to keep it going. So. Right. You know, by the time Moffat comes in, you know, and he's written, he wrote episodes while Davies was running it. So now Moffat comes in and he's adding even more of the, of the old mythology to it. Um, and I never got the impression that he was clunky with it. Uh, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know how much of it. You could pack on all at once and find that threshold point where it's too much. I don't think he could have added too much too soon. By that point, because then you had gotten past the past the point where Smith is now playing a character who's over a thousand years old, and you can go back to the older Doctor. I think that was probably the biggest risk that Moffat took in his run was casting Peter Capaldi and giving us an older doctor finally after after all of this time where a lot of fans were saying when is he going to be like he used to be right so I mean there's there's no pleasing everybody no no there isn't and I think that you are quite right um, it was a, it was a very delicate balancing act because, yes, just like you said, he had to bring back a show that got not only the original fans, but new fans. It grew an audience, um, but also bring back a show for the BBC that the BBC killed. So, uh, you know, they'd, and they were able to, you know, do everything out of their BBC Wales studio. So it was in this kind of, you know, place where they could focus on it and, and give it attention and things like that. But, you know, there was no certainty that in this day and age, Doctor Who would find an audience on the, and certainly no idea that it would find it on the worldwide scale that it has found it. Oh yeah, because I mean it's 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 huge. I mean for everyone who complains about the numbers falling in the UK, um, all you have to do is look at the worldwide numbers uh, where we have them because we don't have all the worldwide numbers, but we know they're big, and that becomes one of those things where when you've got Moffat come in and start to add that mythology back in and start to bring the show to the place where you can go back to an older doctor and not have a heartthrob. Although from internet comments, I'm, I have news that anyone who was worried about <laughs> Peter Capaldi not being a heartthrob is, is sorely mistaken. He's, oh, yeah. uh, he's a, he's, he's a hit with the fans. Um, and because he, I, you can tell he loves the show and that he knows the show and he knows the character. It's always a plus because you know not only not only does he bring that enthusiasm to the character, but he also brings an understanding of the history of the character. He knows where this character has been because he grew up watching. He he's right. he's familiar with the 
not only you know the the continuity aspects of it and and the the legacy both as an actor but also as a fan but he's able to draw from that knowing knowing the show as well as he does he's able to to pull in elements of five and three and one and six and seven and you know and he brings in those different pieces of the other actors' performances from throughout the history of the show, and I think it's brilliant. He, he's he's probably uh, he's probably for me he's the best doctor since Tom Baker. Well, and and actually, I agree with you one hundred percent on that particular opinion, which we will be thrashed by many many fans of Matt Smith and David Tennant and Chris Eccleston oh, yeah. for because everybody has everybody has their own favorite doctor. Oh sure, yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody falls in love with with a doctor, and that is all he's the one. Doesn't matter how good the next guy is, or the or the three or four guys down the line. Um, you may love them too, but you always have. There's nobody forgets their first love, um, <laughs> <laughs> and and for a lot of Americans, of course, that's Tom Baker, because he was the the when when Doctor Who made its way over to the states, it was usually the first one you saw. Was yeah. Baker, yeah, um, but yeah, he he evokes a lot of Tom Baker. He evokes a lot of Tim There's he really has pulled from all the different performances of all the different actors to create a a completely new but but uh, uh, familiar in a positive way version of the character. Uh, he feels a lot like home for a lot of us older fans who remember the show from the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Well, um, and the other thing, too, the other aspect of that is when when uh, when Capaldi gets there, then uh, one other piece of the show's heritage that had not really been in play up until that point was the multi-episode arc. Because back in the day, when it was when it was on the air back in you know sixties, seventies, and eighties, you had uh, you know there there were what, half hour episodes, and you had in anywhere from four to six to twelve parts to tell the story. And when right. the sh- when the show came back with Eccleston, it was here's a one hour episode, and that was it, and that that was all you got. And there was yes, there was a broader arc to some of the story, to some of the season stuff, you know, like the Bad Wolf type of stuff. But you didn't really get a story that took longer than 45 minutes to tell. And this past season especially, uh, I was pleased to see that you had to, you all of the, all of the stories were two-parters, most of them. And that's something that has been missing since the show came back, and I'm glad to see that Moffat finally put, put that piece back in there. So, what's what's left? What's left of the history of the show that we don't have yet? Well, and I, I, there's we have a lot of classic villains uh, that are still we still haven't brought back. Um, that was, of course, that was one of the things that Moffat did was bringing back some of the original bad guys. So you had the Great Intelligence, and you had the Zygons, and things like that. Um, so there's certainly a, a, an untapped area there, but overall, I think we have reached the point where you don't have to worry about losing new fans 
necessarily um, by go by pulling stuff from from the original series. Now, it does make it a little more difficult to come into the show fresh. But you know that's a complaint that I hear about everything anymore. And audiences that didn't stop audiences from watching Battlestar Galactica or Lost or Twenty Four or any of these shows that ran long story arcs or told complicated stories, the only people who ever seem to really be worried about people dropping in to a story arc and getting lost are the people who are writing the checks. Right. Well, and it's like so, you said before, the, the back in the day, television was episodic. And so there was this, uh, this frame of mind that anybody could drop into a show at any point and and just pick up where they are because there's not a lot to keep track of. And Doctor Who was one of those uh, that stood out, especially back uh, when it was in its heyday in the early the classic run, where you had multiple arcs and you had you know somebody had to had to pay attention when they were watching stuff. And we didn't really get serialized storytelling until Hill Street Blues, I guess, was one of the first ones that really embraced that format and said, we're going to keep going and tell the story and just keep telling the story. And, right. we, you know, we just break it up into hour and, you know, one hour segments, but it's all one long story. And now we've got with Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and some of these others, you've got the binge watching now that you're able to do. So you can tell 13-hour stories, 10-hour stories, uh, you know, the, the, the audience expectations, the audience frame of mind has changed enough that whether it's a serialized format one hour a week for 10 weeks or 22 weeks or whether it's 13 hours on a, on a weekend – you don't really have that much to worry about in terms of people keeping up, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah, I, and I agree. I think it, it, it enables you to tell more complicated stories, uh, to go into greater depth, to establish characters in a way that, that episodic television just really never did. I mean, episodic television, you tended to get broad-stroke characters who had no real growth and no change. And... For as many people who complained about how Clara-centric this last season was, a lot of other people greatly appreciated the fact that you were a they were able to essentially take the time and develop Clara in a way um, that few companions actually got the development that Clara got, for good or for ill. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, one of the reasons why Sarah Jane was so popular is because she got some depth to her and that, you know, because she, she had so much time with Baker and with oh, yeah. Pertwee that, you know, you got to know her. Yep, exactly. And I think that even though you had some of that with Rose and with Amy, they took it to a different level with Clara, which for good or for ill, depending on how you liked it, uh, they still took it to a different level in terms of developing the character and delving into that character. Um, and took us away a bit from uh, the domestics, which was something that really Davies introduced by bringing in Rose's family. Mm -hmm. um, 
because in the course of the previous companions of the original series, once they got in the TARDIS, it was like, ah, forget my family. Who cares? <laughs> you know? yeah, fam- family? What family? Uh, exactly. So um, Davies started really the, the look at the companion in a broader sense, who these people were, how they interacted with the world around without the Doctor. Uh, Amy, of course, with Rory and, and her missing parents. And then, of course, Clara, uh, just in the in you know, the macro level of that. So <laughs> now that you have a chance to have a new companion without any of, of uh, the previous connections, as far as we know, um, and from what we heard, uh, Capaldi recently said that he has not yet been introduced to anyone that they are interested in casting as a new companion. So no, no news on that front yet. Uh, but I imagine we'll get something soon. There'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of pre-news. Hopefully, not as spoiler-heavy as this last season was. <laughs> uh, the, BBC, the BBC press department caught a lot of flack uh, for, you know, putting out a putting out a preview that gave away the plot, or putting out a trailer that gave away a big reveal, or you know, whatever. Right. I think one of the reasons we're getting no Doctor Who in 2016 is not specifically the BBC's press release in, uh, issues, but because um, there was a lot of fan feedback to the BBC this last year, and some, quite a bit of it was negative. And it had nothing to do with Capaldi or Coleman or Moffat. It had to do with the fact that the BBC kept moving the airtime around. Oh, yeah. Well, Capaldi even addressed that in an interview at one point that he was saying, right. you know, it's on too late. Right. It's, 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 a, it's a very frustrating thing when you, you know, and we see, we see it here with American television. Um, I just saw, what is it, Second Chance? Just Second, got moved yeah, to just, Friday. Yeah, the new, just moved. After two episodes, they moved it to Friday. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's dead. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the kiss of death. Um, and so... <laughs> or even if you just move a, sh- a show from, say, Tuesday to Thursday, and say Thursday is actually a better slot for it, you're going to lose audience. Right. Um, and so here's a show that fans expect to be on at a certain time, and then something else is going on, and then it comes on at some weird time, like 6.20 or 7.34 or, you know, 8.02 um, and, yeah, and that was a huge frustration for fans, um, many of which were very vocal on places like Twitter, mm-hmm. talking about this, the, the show that was getting in the way in not exactly pleasant light, right. which is not good PR. So there's that. Um, so I think that, and, and because there's a lot of stuff happening in, on British television uh, this fall, uh, there was a big fear that there was we were going to see a, re- a, a repeat of that, where the show's airtime, you know, kept moving forward and back and forward and back. Well, and the other thing too was the fact that we're 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 going to be in the Olympics, and right. uh, I think there's another there's there's another ep- uh, another event that's coming up in in England that's going to be uh, part of. The, I don't know if it's a World Cup or if they're going to be doing something over there, but but uh, yeah, but the other thing. Uh, speaking of Capaldi doing a, an interview, the impact that this has not only on the show and the schedule, 
But his participation, because now there are rumors, because you, you hear this every single time something changes on the show, uh, but there are now rumors about whether or not the doctor will stay in. And we will talk about that after the break. You can hear a message here from SuperheroStuff.com. They are a sponsor of this show. We do appreciate their support. Uh, lots of fine licensed merchandise over there. Um, the Hero Box, especially. Right. Yes, they do have Doctor Who merchandise. Uh, currently, right now, I think they're running a Deadpool Hero Box uh, in anticipation of the new movie. Uh, it's basically, it's uh, I think, 70-some-odd dollars worth of stuff for 40-something, 40 $46 dollars or something like that. But anyway, uh, we're going to take a break and let you hear from them. And when we come back... Is there a new doctor in the house? Sci-fi for me. It's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-whiny stuff. Where can you get the latest cool superhero and sci-fi merchandise? SuperheroStuff.com! From t-shirts to keychains to cookie jars and everything in between. Superhero Stuff has added more buyers to the staff, which means more stuff, which means more for you to choose from. And don't forget the Hero Box, the must-have superhero mystery box. A $70 value, just $49. Visit SuperheroStuff.com today and gear up with your favorites. SuperheroStuff.com! Where heroes shop. Behind the scenes tidbits, production notes, casting, news, games, toys, reviews, interviews, we've got a little bit of everything. Plus, you can sound off with your thoughts and comments, and who knows, you might be in our next episode. Star Wars news, we call it Salacious Crumbs, and you can check out new episodes only on Sci Fi For Me TV. Whoa, where'd you get that shirt? Bought it at the convention last week. It's an atomic cotton design. Atomic cotton? Yep, they got t-shirt designs from sci-fi, horror, cult films. All the shirts were really unique and fun. I had to get one. I gotta wait for another convention, though. Nope. AtomicCotton.com. I ordered a shirt. Shipping was super fast. Atomic Cotton, where Erica and Zach combine their passion for art and film to create wearable art. All original, made with a love for the genre. Coming to a convention near you very soon. Or find them on the web at AtomicCotton.com. Atomic Cotton. Shirts and art for fans by fans. This is meteorologist Brian Busby. If you're traveling to a convention, be sure to check the weather. We have the latest forecast on the conventions page every week at SciFiForMe.com. Back on H2O, the hashtag H2O Podcast 100. You can ask us anything. No guarantees that we'll answer, of course. Uh, but we are preparing for our 100th episode coming just around the corner. My name is Jason Hunt. I am on the phone this evening with uh, Timothy Harvey. Hello. And we are discussing the demise of Doctor Who. Well. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going anywhere. Now, what? What? But but Moffat's gone. And you know what that means? Yeah. It means that Capaldi's gone. It means that the writers are going to quit. It means the BBC is shuttering the whole thing, and it's on its last legs. It's not yeah. going to survive. How many, yeah, how many times does that ever come up? Every single time there's a change on the show. Well, yeah, and especially now, especially since the show came back, I think by the time the, the, the BBC was really noticing the Doctor Who had a fan base outside of the UK, in the original show, not that they really cared, um, yeah. the, audi the audiences in the UK were used to the actor changing, and they were also used to something called the Troughton Rule, which was three years. Mm -hmm. you play the role for three years, you're out. Yep. 
And the argument for the Troughton rule then was a typecasting issue. Because you have a show like, say, Doctor Who, which back in the day, when you had basically, I think there, I think at that point there were only, there was maybe two BBC television channels, um, and someone could correct me on that, but um, you were guaranteed an audience. It was like it was like it was the net, it was the ABC, NBC, CBS network days yeah. of the eighties for you, here, right? You Seven, only had. These channels, and you had to stand up and walk across the room to change the channel and turn the knob. Yeah, those days. Right. So, it, I mean, you had your show had to be just so terrible to get canceled um, because it was, you know, you, you had a built-in audience. And there was, you know, they had nowhere else to go. Now, of course, you have so many different choices, so much more that we're, you're actually seeing shows have small, what used to be considered tiny viewing numbers that are considered successes because you have gotten, you know, 5% of the market share. Oh, well, uh, you know, the flash, uh, this past Tuesday, the flash, t- uh, came in tied at number one for its time slot tied with a repeat of NCIS and only had eight, eight point seven million viewers. Number one in the time zone. Time slot, time right. zone, thing. Eight, 8.7 million. Yeah. Now, back in the day, yeah, you were looking at 15, 20 million, 22 million people looking at your show. And if you were anywhere below 12 to 14 million, you were a failure. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, and for the folks who, who get really worked up about the falling Doctor Who numbers since the show came back on the air, all you have to do is look at what happened in television in the last 10 years and how much the marketplace of television has changed, how much the landscape of television has changed. Yeah. You didn't have Netflix 10 years ago. You didn't have Live Plus you 3. Live you didn't plus have seven. YouTube 10, 10 years ago. Yeah, no, well, nothing, nothing online up until, what, really seriously, in the last people, people have been really watching online uh, in in regular amounts, the last what, five eight years, something like that. I just yeah. saw so, I, I mean, just saw a thing uh, the other day that um, well, I was reading an article today talking about Facebook ads, and out of the one point one billion active users on Facebook, half of them access Facebook on their mobile device. Only their mm-hmm. mobile device. So, yeah, the, the landscape has changed a lot, mainly because of the technology, but also because our viewing habits have changed uh, because there's so much out there to watch now. My own particular case, I'll give you an example, because we do a lot of recaps of a lot of different shows. And through the, uh, through the wonders of staff changes here at the magazine, I am now recapping... I am now re- working on recaps of some way, shape, or form for eight shows. Mm-hmm. And that includes a podcast for uh, Level 117, so that covers the Marvel show, but Supergirl, Gotham, Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, Second Chance, Shannara Chronicles, and Shadowhunters are all shows that I'm writing something about on a regular basis. And I can't watch 
all of those shows when they're on. Because right. I'm watching other shows. So, yeah, so the the ability, not only, you know, you can record them. I still got a, 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 a videotape, a VCR. Yes, I still use videotape. I can tape a show and I can watch it later. But you've got digital sure. recording, you've got DVR, you've got uh, uh, delayed time. You know, you could pop your, pop your start button whenever and, and catch up. Um, then, then you can watch them online. You know, the shows are put on the network's websites. So that, that, that kind of thing didn't exist back in the day. So yeah, you're right. It's, and, and, and it has really rendered the Nielsen numbers, the rating numbers, completely irrelevant because they have absolutely no really good solid way to measure how many people are watching at any given time. Oh, right. Well, and, and it, it, it leads to um, a lot of unnecessary speculation and, and hand-wringing. Um, look, we'll know, we'll know without a doubt if, if Doctor Who is circling the drain, okay? It'll be obvious, it'll be, it'll be dramatic, we'll be here, you know, the, there, there are too many fans in high places at this point. The BBC is not worried about the numbers, they've got the sales numbers. Doctor Who is a gigantic cash cow. Yeah. And it is, it is you know, it, it's selling in markets across the world. When Capaldi and, and Colt did their, their tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they uh, went around the world. Yeah. And it, it, the size of those audiences and the, the reaction, Doctor Who's not in any danger. And it's still getting approximately 10% of the British audience in its live plus seven numbers. So it's just it's under ten just under ten percent. Yeah, and that's nothing to sneer at. So I'm not I'm not worried about that. The bigger worry, of course, is what happens when Chibnall takes over because what we have seen since the series came back is, and we admittedly we only have one changeover of showrunner to to go on, but in many ways when uh, Tenant left, and Matt Smith started. It was a not a reboot, but the closest thing that Doctor Who has to a reboot. New showrunner, new actor, new TARDIS, uh, new companion. You know, a change in the style of storytelling a little bit, and it became this. It, it was it was from a lot of fan feedback kind of jarring. Because it all happened at once. Yeah. There was no now, transition. With Chib- yeah, with Chibnall coming in, um, some fans are worried, of course, that we're going to have another one of those. Because if Capaldi only stays for three years, then you'll have a new Doctor and probably a new TARDIS redesign and maybe a new companion. Although, you know, a one-year companion would be unfortunate, but not impossible. It's been done. Yeah. Um, a lot of fans are hoping, if nothing else, Capaldi eases the transition for us by staying on through Series 11. Who knows? Nobody knows at this point. Uh, Capaldi has said that it is a physically demanding part, but he also just said in a, in a, a recent interview that he loves the fact that it's a physically demanding part, and he's starting to train for it again. He's going to get back into you know, he's going to get back into shape for the running. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, but um, he also said that there are other things that he wants to do. So he allowed, I mean, there's, you know, he, I, I don't think he's being cheeky about it. I think that, uh, that you know, there's, there's a certain amount of coyness that's required in the contract as far as you know when people start to ask you questions because we saw this with uh, when when Jenna Coleman was rumored to be leaving the show and she didn't leave when they all thought she was going to leave but it turns out in hindsight she actually had made that decision a long time before she actually left so uh, so now we've got the back and forth the willy or won't he but Capaldi himself has said that he doesn't anticipate being there a lot longer. Uh, he hasn't given it any kind of a time frame, but he has said there are other things that I want to do. So well, and that's, yes, and that's, no. and that's another reason that looking at 2016 being Doctor Who light is a plus because there's a couple of things that happen here when you don't have a show on the air for a year. There, of course, is, there is the fear that you're going to lose audience, right? But you've got a built-in audience here, and they're going to build up the promotion and anticipation and all that stuff. So that's really, I don't think that, I don't see that being a, a major factor. It's a risk. It's always a risk. But in this particular case, I don't think it, it's something they need to worry about. You do have the other, uh, the other benefit to that is that people will miss it. People will start oh, yeah. to start to get the get the withdrawal symptoms. It's like, man, when is when is Doctor Who coming back? I need my Doctor Who fixed. So you're going to have yeah, that exactly. that as well with, like I said, with the built-in fan base, but also with people who are on the periphery of that. Because I'm I I can sit here and I can say, man, I'm ready for Doctor Who, and somebody can overhear me say, I'm ready for Doctor Who. Well, nobody's going to overhear me say it because nobody's around me. I I I live in a hole in the in the ground but in in general speak yeah know, yeah aside if, from that yeah <laughs> it, people who are actually out there among people that are talking about doctor who people will overhear that and they'll start getting curious They're like well what is this doctor who thing and people will want to see it and it won't be anywhere because uh, i hear it's going off of netflix too so they're maybe pulling everything in in order to you know, they decrease the supply, it increases the demand. So there, yeah, that, that, that is something that, that they could certainly work with. There is also the fact that we are getting class, which is a Doctor Who spinoff. It is not a, it is actually a licensed part of the universe, right? So it's, you know, we don't have Torchwood, we don't have, you know, Sarah Jane, um, but we do have class. And the idea that somehow class will not have a more overt crossover moment is ridiculous. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so we will, I, there's, there's no way to know, but it's likely we'll see Peter Capaldi as the doctor a little earlier than Christmas, or we'll see the TARDIS before Christmas or some, there'll be something there that will make it, you know, an overt connection aside from Cole Hill school. What do you think of the chances uh, that we'll see Jenna Coleman as as uh, uh, Clara in class? Maybe e either either dead Clara or Clara before she goes off on her last adventure and dies, Clara. I would think 
we would be missing out on a story possibility if we don't at least reference the fact that she is she's no longer there, that she has either disappeared or they have found that she, you know, it's been learned that she died. But yeah, I mean, there, 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 I, I would, I would think there would be a reference to it in some way or form. I don't think she'll make an appearance because I think she's off to her making, I think she's already on the Elizabeth. Victoria. Uh, Victoria. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the, the Victoria series. But see, by the time they uh, start, by the, by the time they, they get around, I mean, she could do a guest shot. She could do a one-off. Well, yeah, but I mean, class is class is supposed to premiere this spring. No, so we're going to be we're in we're in it now. So it's I'm imagining that they're in post production on everything at this point. Hmm. They're probably doing all the effects work right now. What do um, you think? What do you think but, of the chances that uh, that Ian Chesterton will show up in class? See, again, that's an opportunity that that they should take because they haven't taken it so far. We've had Cole Hill and we haven't had Ian um, and. The good news is, is that with class, Patrick Ness is the author, who's, he's the, the young adult author who, who's writing the series, mm -hmm. um, is also a huge fan. So one, you know, this is the kind of thing that you could, that can link things together, that when you have the opportunity, you should take it. I mean, I mean just from a writing standpoint, if that could be a fun thing. And also, and also it helps connect the world in a way that is, is organic. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I would do it. If it was me, I'd do it. Um, I would like to think that they would as well, just because it would be cool. And, and for the older fans, for the fans of a certain generation, it would be uh, a tip of the hat to the original series that shouldn't be passed up, you know, I think. Well, and William, um, William Russell is still alive, and he could actually go on yeah. an adventure. He could do one more trip in the TARDIS. Oh, sure. And I think that that would be actually a a, a really just hey, yeah that that would just be cool. So we have this longer gap in between series here. You've got class coming in to fill part of that hole. You've got a gap that allows the the folks who've been working very hard for series on for folks like Capaldi to go off and do something else for a while. Which are, yeah, he has since he has said that it's, you know he doesn't you know he has other things he likes to do. Um, there's a longer gap for him. Yeah, so he can go and do some of those. It also very important. This is important. Um, it allows the show to go back to a spring summer air date. Yes. And what you people may have forgotten is that from 2005 to 2008, it was a spring to summer show. You had your Christmas special, and then in March, April, series started, and it ran till June, July, right? Right. In 2008, remember this, from 2008 to January of 2010, there were four Doctor Who specials. That's so right, yeah. The, they were, yeah they, we and had, they were... We they were were they they were one hour or two hour a piece. Um, they were hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're looking at you know that was series four was a year and a half long, but it was only four specials. Yeah. So we've had gaps before. So the, the gap the gap the gap panic is is way overstated. 
Well, and the gap um, the gap between 1997 and or, or <laughs> no, when, 19, when did when did uh, yeah. No, wait, 89 wait. to 2005. Yeah. Yeah. So Crazy. that's a much larger gap. But also, you have to look at the fact that Series 5 was spring-summer, and Series 6 was our split series season. Right. So that, that was spring-fall. And then Series 7 was fall was a split series, split, split series. So that was a fall, uh, uh, went from 2012 to 2013. And then we were then, now we've been on fall, fall Christmas. Yeah. Um, for the last three, last three years. And there's, there's a big problem with fall Christmas. Um, that is when you get things like Olympics or your major sporting events, like the world cup, or your big TV events like Strictly Come Dancing or whatever, you know, some of the things that actually have been getting in the way of air times. So pulling it back to spring-summer actually puts it in a period where they have more control over the air time, which is a big thing, really actually a big thing for live BBC television. And so that's a huge benefit as far as I'm concerned, that we're actually back on a spring-summer schedule. Hopefully we'll stay on a spring-summer schedule. So be- between having Capaldi having more free time, between class coming out and being able to stand on its own, between prepping for Moffat's final season uh, and potentially Capaldi's final season, I, I hope not. I, I-, I want Capaldi to stick around. I- I'd love to see him hit the Tom Baker limit. Oh, I do too. I, I, I would too. I don't expect it. I don't expect it, but I'd love to see it. Um, and the fact that this is not actually a new thing. This is, this is a, I completely understand folks going, Oh no, but it's not a new thing, even in the current run of the show. Um, and so it's not, you know, there's, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of moving pieces here that don't add up to anything to be worried about as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and there's some, and there's some benefit that comes out of it. Now, one thing that I have heard, and I have no evidence for this aside from reading the internet, is well, it's that be there's true. some talk of, I know, it, the internet always tells the truth, yeah. um, is that it gives Chibnall a chance to be more involved with this season to maybe ease the transition. But who knows if that is any, that is any bearing, in fact. I, I, I just don't know. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, is that for fans of Sherlock, this means that there's actually time for the long-awaited season of Sherlock, which starts shooting, I think, in April. Oh, right, um, right. And that was always a big concern because, of course, Moffat was juggling the B- two of the BBC's biggest shows. Well, and to listen and, to some, some people criticize, he had turned them all into the same show. Yeah, and I think that's a... I, 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 I get... I get what people are saying when they say that, but I honestly think it's a very superficial argument. Yeah. Especially for the folks who, who were saying, you know, he's turning Doctor Who into Sherlock. Uh, flip that around, kids. <laughs> um, because uh, if there's anything, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's portrayal of Sherlock owes a lot more to William Hartnell and maybe Colin Baker 
than Peter Capaldi performance owing anything to Benedict Cumberbatch's. Yeah. And the doc the doctor was a misanthrope, which is a complicated word saying doesn't like people, uh, for the folks who don't know what <laughs> um long before Cumberbatch's version of Sherlock came along. And of course Sherlock is Sherlock Holmes is, is mentored in a lot of different ways over the course of, you know, the hundred plus years of of storytelling of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So I can see, I, yes, if you are looking at if you are looking at the two shows side by side, they're produced by the same guy. He's had his hand, he has his hand in writing the characters. Yeah, you're going to see similarity. They tend to be they tend if they they tend to be surface similarities. I mean, if you go deeper, you see that there's they're they're not the, they're not the same. But if if you know that those the folks who are who feel that way, you know, can look forward to Chibnall coming in. Uh, because he's going to have a different vision of the show. He's going to have a different, different aesthetic and story-wise and visually and, and all these things. That it's going to, it's it's a neat one thing that is incredibly cool about Doctor Who is that every few years the show gets revitalized just by the fact they bring in somebody else to play the part. Yeah. And every few years the show is revitalized because the person running the show passes the torch on to somebody else. And very few shows can get away with recasting the lead oh, every yeah. Yeah. three, four, five years, you know? Well, and not only that, but playing the same character. Because oh, yeah. that, that never happens. You're, you're not going to get that kind of thing. I mean, if, if you ever have a, a lead character get recast, it's usually before the show ever gets onto the air, like, uh, like Star Trek Voyager. Uh, being an example of that, you had uh, you had somebody completely different playing Janeway, and they were they were all you know what a third of the way shooting the pilot and figured out that it wasn't working and recast. But that yeah right. that that sort of thing you never see on air because it all happens before that. Uh, Doctor Who is right. very unique in that, and it was it was a brilliant move. Uh, to come up with the whole idea of regeneration, not only for the fact that it kept the show on the air, but it also gives you more story potential for just you know the the complications that that arise as part of it. Um, so oh, yeah. yeah, it's it yeah I I think that uh, Chibnall coming in it is going to give it a fresh voice like it always does when you get a new showrunner. Um, I would hope that Capaldi stays. But if he doesn't, if he decides that 10, 10 is his last one as well, where where should the show go? Do we stay in that older alien range, or do we cast about for somebody even older than Capaldi, or go younger again, or what? What do you where where do you think it should go? Where do you think they might go? I don't. I don't know where Tribnal stands on a lot of the, the how he feels about a lot of the, the the fact that we've reached that point in the fan base interaction that fans feel comfortable saying they want a black doctor or they want a, a female version of the doctor. Um, you know, these are things that that I don't I don't inherently have a problem with. Um, I'm I'm used to a male doctor. I'm I'm fine with that. Um, and also, it's the show. You know what? These are things I'm not going to stress out about, right? They'll either happen or they won't. 
the show will survive. The show will, you know, if it's written well, I'll be watching it, right? Right. Um, it's, it's Doctor Who. Uh, but um, at this point, you have the opportunity that if you're going to make that change or a change of significant nature, you could do it with a new showrunner, right? It's, it, it's, it's safer to make dangerous, dangerous changes when you've got a new person come over and take over. I don't think we'll see a major, you know, I don't think we'll see a female doctor under Chibnall uh, right off the bat, right? I don't think we would because a female doctor coming in after a female master runs the risk of feeling like a gimmick. The, the potential is there, although you also have the potential of the dynamic between the two shifting again. Mm-hmm. And being, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's story possibilities there. I don't think it's going to happen uh, under Chimnall, at least with his first doctor that he's, he's, going, that he's running uh, all on his own. But Capaldi is one of the two oldest actors to play the part. So I think they will probably go younger, but not necessarily a lot younger. I don't think you're going to, I don't necessarily think you're going to see somebody get as, you know, you're not going to drop down to the twenties like they did with Smith. Um, I think I'll get a thirties, forties doctor, you know, and I think that if, if they wanted to go, if they wanted to go with a black actor, then I'm going to call out for Chiwetel Ejiofor again, because, you know, he's an amazing actor. And he would, I would, I would love to see him play the part. I don't know. I mean, I think that, I think that odds are good. They're going to go with someone a little bit younger. Um, but it'll also be, I don't think, we're going, I don't think we're going to go back to the heartthrob, which is interesting, of course, because if you look at, if you look at Smith and Tennant and Eccleson, they are not your typical Hollywood handsome leading men. Right. Uh, they're they're distinctive looking, but they they don't have that you know they're not they're not George Clooney's or Brad Pitt's or you know uh, uh, anything like that. Um, you know there was the rumor back in the back goodness I, I can't remember which version of the proposed scripts for the various Doctor Who movies they were trying to bring to the screen and during the the Wilderness years, um, where they were trying to get Pierce Brosnan to play the part. And, you know, people like that, you yeah. know, the, the, the handsome leading man type of character. But Doctor Who's always been really good at casting distinctive, interesting actors to play the parts and who've, who've been more about the personality. And if they become heartthrobs, it's been because of that personality coming out. And, you know, because there was that whole... Oh no, an old doctor. You oh know, yeah. Capaldi's not sexy. He's not sexy like David Tennant. But yeah. again, all you have to do is look at the internet to sit there and see the swooning that happens. Um, <laughs> because he's, you know, he, he has he has presence. They all do. And so, the, you know, I think I think we'll get somebody who's a little bit younger, but we'll have, we'll still have that kind of of magnetism uh, that. The show, since it came back especially, they've been really, really good at casting doctors who have serious screen presence. I mean, you go back and you look at, you look at the original series, and though the actors, you know, Sylvester McCoy and Tom Baker and uh, uh, Patrick Troughton, 
these were not people that that, that the the viewing audience sat there and went woohoo, you know. Yeah. Uh, but they were distinctive, and they and they owned the parts in their various ways, and they had presence. There was a big deal when when Peter Davidson was cast as the fifth doctor because he was so young and so good looking. You know. It oh, was I a, remember that. It was, yeah. It, it does. Yeah. You know, eh, eh. It's it's always it's always this way. I would like to see somebody, you know, who has the kind of presence that we've established so far. And there's there's a lot of great actors out there. You know, I said that Sean Sean Pertwee had said that he would never play the part because, you know, of his father's legacy. And I really want him to reconsider that. Because I think he would make a great doctor. Oh um, yeah. Well, even even if it was uh, him playing three in a multi-doctor special, you know, at, oh, le yeah. at least once. I I'd love to see it at least once. I'm not oh, yeah. sure. And... I'm not sure that you'd, that you'd do it, uh, for a, for a full run just because of the legacy. But if he played his father's doctor, he could, uh, you could, you could do it. You could do it at least once. Oh yeah, I, that that would be fantastic. I would love that. Um, but I completely understand his his feelings of reticence about doing it. Yeah. But at the same time, I would like him to reconsider that greatly. Yeah, because because <laughs> he's not going to be working on you know, Gotham but, very much longer. Well, that's true. Um, <laughs> you know, Chiwetel uh, Ejiofor would be amazing in the part. I, I the interesting thing is is that you look at Britain now as opposed to when the show was on. And the recognition that there is a much stronger multicultural environment there. And you look at, even though they have the problem, same problem that our entertainment industry does in it being they don't have as much representation for, in England, it's going to be your, your black and, and uh, Indian actors, um, which is, is, have a lot of the same problems we have here with, with minority actors, um, having the kind of representation on the screen. But um, they also have a very rich pool of extremely talented actors to pull from that are not just your good-looking white guy. Um, yeah. So there's, I mean, there's, there's a huge range. I think a lot of people would love to see a British Indian actor play the part. Um, Alexander Siddig would be fun, um, although he, he does bring the Star Trek baggage with him. <laughs> Which and, you know they they could use that to their advantage. They could play with that. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, of course they could. I mean, really um, though. But, I mean, if you're looking at science fiction actors with baggage, I mean, there, science fiction only has like we were talking about the other day. Science fiction only has about thirty actors in it altogether. Yeah, it, it is. They're, 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 they're in everything. Who, who, um, but um, you know, he would he'd be fantastic in the part. He could he could play the part without any trouble. Um, and, and I think has a draw from a fan base from outside Doctor Who that could be fun to pull in. But the other thing is, is that, is that what we don't have here, they really do there, which is this incredibly strong, uh, talent pool of stage trained actors that we don't see in the U S. So Peter Capaldi is relatively unknown to American audiences. Uh, when he was cast in the role, even though he's been in several films and TV series and things like that, they just didn't have the exposure over here. But in England, he was a huge star. Yeah. 
um, you know, the thick of it was, was a big, big show. And American audiences, again, just no real, no real exposure to it. So we could have an actor emerge out of there who we just don't know who he is, but, you know, the British audiences go, yes, <laughs> <laughs> he's perfect. Or no, what are you thinking? You know, because there will be no middle ground. Oh, um, I know, I know. Everybody's going to uh, have an opinion. Oh, of course they will. Of course they will. But the but the good news is is that you know the track record has been really strong. There's there has never for all the different people who have played the part, there has never actually been a bad actor in the bunch. Colin Baker got a lot of bad scripts. Colin Baker had to deal with a lot of behind the scenes politics and budget issues and a lot of crap that that, you know, really kind of sabotaged his run on the doctor. Yeah. But all you have to do is listen to his audio adventures and go, why, why couldn't I have this? This was awesome. Yeah. You know? And of course he's, he's a, uh, one of those people that we, you know, from every, from all accounts, once you meet him, you just think he's an amazing guy. So it's, you know, whoever it is. And I hope, I hope we have, a, you know, I, I want, I want at least two more years of Capaldi. Um, I'd, I'd like to have him do a five-year run, but if I if three is all we get, then I'll be it'll be three three years. I've I've really enjoyed him playing the part. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not worried about the next one. Uh, I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about the numbers. I'm not worried about the year off. Um, I want you know I don't like the, the year off. <laughs> well, it'll I'll let us back on. it'll let us catch up on other shows that we're we're supposed to be watching. Oh, good Lord, yes. <laughs> um, but we have, like, the, yeah, but we have class, yeah. you know, and so we have, we have, <laughs> yes, we we have do. a Doctor Who show, um, yeah. uh, and, you know, Sherlock gets made, and, you know, they, you know, the, because, you know, and the other thing is, is that the last year of Moffat's run is probably going to be a big deal. Yeah. I mean, they're probably going to try and pull out the stops and have it go out in the back, you know, yes, they... The, leaving aside what the what the BBC says, the production team is going to want to make it a big deal. Moffat's going to want to leave on a high note, and if Capaldi leaves with him, then he's going to want to leave on a high note. Yeah, I, I, there are already people saying that if Capaldi leaves with Moffat, then Moffat's last several episodes should be like an all-out slugfest between the Doctor, the Master, and the Daleks, just like you know, burn the universe to the ground, go out with a literal bang. Um, well, and you could you bring know. you could bring Romana back in the middle of all of that. Oh, I know. There's so many different things you could do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I want, I want more Doctor Who now, but <laughs> I'm not worried about it. And yeah. and I'm and I'm excited about the potential for a lot of this too. I mean, I'm, I have not read the books uh, that uh, Patrick Ness has written, and but everything I've read about them is that people just love him. He's yeah. he's a big deal in the young adult uh, writing community. And there's a real excitement about the potential for what he can do for the writing of the show. There's a, there's a fair amount of trepidation because it's a show set in the high school and, and yeah. high school actors. Kids. Uh, yeah, kid actors. Yeah. You know, and, and in all fairness, Doctor Who has had hits, hits and misses with kid actors. Um, yeah. And so that, there's, there's a little bit of concern there, obviously. Well, we'll have but to see how that plays time, out. Because it, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, any any spinoff, uh, like Torchwood, for example. Torchwood was good, and Torchwood was bad. Um, you know, oh, yeah. the first time they spun off Sarah Jane, did not go well. The second time they did it, 
little bit better. So we are going to have to just kind of we well we got to wait and see. You know, class hopefully is uh, a show where people have learned from the mistakes of others, and we get us a, a pretty solid show in the meantime while we wait for uh, for the Christmas special. Uh, in the meantime, you've probably got your opinions out there in uh, in in our audience on who could play the Doctor after Capaldi's run. If you've got opinions you'd like to share with us on that or anything else uh, with uh, Moffat leaving and Chibnall coming in and what the show's doing with the schedule and all of that, you can share that with us uh, by leaving a comment or sending us an email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. And don't forget, hashtag H2O Podcast 100. You can ask us anything for our 100th episode, which is just around the corner. And, uh, we, yeah, yeah, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, you can connect with us over on uh, the social media or on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Tumblr, and YouTube. And uh, we will be back next week with another discussion. Uh, I think what we're going to do next week, and I'll just give you a preview because I'm, I'm going to lock. We're going to lock this in because Tim and I talked about this earlier before we got the news that Moffat was leaving. Uh, the the case that's going to the Supreme Court uh, involving uh, copywriting clothing designs. I th- we've been kicking this around. We've been talking about this in the wake of the Axonar lawsuit, in the wake of the takedown of the X Men animated picture. Uh, we're we're kicking this around. That very well might be the topic for discussion next week, unless something comes up right there in the middle, like George R. R. Martin collapses and dies, or something before he could finish the the next book, or you know some some major event could could derail our plans. So we'll allow for that. But next week we'll have another discussion here on Sci-Fi from Your Radio. We hope you join us, uh, Timothy Harvey. Always a pleasure, sir. And my name is Jason Hunt. On behalf of all of us here at Sci-Fi for Me and Horror for Me, don't forget we've got a new site. Uh, Thanks very much for listening. We will be back next week. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. 